Suspense. This is the man in black to bring you men and women in the armed forces of the United Nations, one of America's top spine tinglers. A special rebroadcast of Suspense, produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Lud Gluskin. If you have been with us before, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so Lucille Fletcher's play for broadcasting called The Search for Henri Lefebvre, and with the performance of Paul Muni, we again hope to keep you in suspense. down the last note on paper. You know what it is to write a piece. The agony, the drudgery, the exaltation. A fever consumes one. Hours melt away at the piano. Time, people mean nothing. The world revolves around this rocking song with tender magic. A heavenly feeling comes into your heart and nestles there. So it was with this music. I had just Set down the last note on paper. I was happy and weary and full of peace. I lay down on the sofa to relax before Suzette brought my supper. There's a radio near the couch. That night I turned it on. horror, true horror, the animal thing. I've seen horror many times grimacing at me out of the corner of my room, but this time it was upon me. It was in my brain. For that music on the radio playing now was the music I had just set down on paper. Suzette! Suzette! Yes, monsieur. Suzette, come here. Listen to this thing. You hear it, don't you? Is it real music playing? Yes, Monsieur Flynn. The radio's playing real music. It is not an illusion, a hallucination of some kind in my own brain. No, Monsieur Flynn. It is real music. And very pretty. Pretty? What is the matter, Monsieur? Is anything wrong? Don't you like it? Then we will turn it off. No, no, no. Leave it on. Leave it alone. Listen to it. Sit there, beside the radio, and I will get it for you. What, Monsieur? My score! Look at it. Note for note. Even as they claim my tonality, the oboe solo. And I thought, it's a joke. A joke, an incredible joke. Oh, monsieur, I cannot read music. I do not understand. Perhaps someone in this building has heard me play. But no, no, this orchestration is the same, and the orchestration is a secret, quiet thing that one does alone. Perhaps. They have stolen the score. Someone has copied it. 
But I only finished it this afternoon. It has been here in a drawer and on the piano. Unless... Unless someone else... There is someone else, someone like me, with my brain, my soul, a kind of double, a... It is over now, monsieur. You want me to turn it off? Oh, no, no. See what they announce. So confused another... See what they dare to say. You've been listening to the Elegy for Orchestra, Opus 42, by Henri Lefebvre. Henri Lefebvre! freshly written pages. My brain was reeling. It was... It was my music. Every little note, every turn of phrase. Before me, the silent radio faced me like a mocking, sardonic sphinx. Adolphus, my good fellow, what's that? Monsieur Picard. I thought it best to bring him, monsieur. Your did, good friend. Did you call the broadcasting station? Yes, monsieur. Uh, what did they say? They said, monsieur. Oh, monsieur Picard, I'm afraid They I... said, Adolphus. That it was a piece by Henri Massard. An old piece, written nearly 15 years ago. What? Adolphus, dear boy, now try to be calm. Tell me, you composers are so temperamental. Uh, sit down and try to analyze this thing from, from a mental viewpoint. 15 years ago? I But I finished it today. <laughs> the brain is such a queer thing, Adolphus. And a musician's brain, <laughs> that is still a puzzle to us scientists. Ten years ago, perhaps even 15 years ago, you heard this piece somewhere. Perhaps your conscious brain scarcely noted it. You were thinking your own thoughts, but your subconscious reached out and grasped it for yourself. And now, 15 years later... What are you trying to say, Monsieur Picard? That this piece is not mine? That I stole it from this imposter? No, no, no. I assure you, my dear Adolphus, you've always been utterly original. I wrote that piece myself, do you hear? I tore it out bit by bit for my own creative imagination. If I had remembered it in my own subconscious, would it have come so hard? It would have flowed out like a dream. But I had to struggle. Look at these erasures and these cuts with coda. Hmm. And you say it was exactly this way on the exactly radio? Exactly as though they had copied out the parts in the twinkling of an eye. And an orchestra was reading my score. Strange. The man neither stole my piece somehow or else. There was some terrible coincidence. Some simultaneous crooked streak of identical inspiration that leaped across the world. Adolphus, Who is this Henri Lefebvre? I should like to know him. To confront him face to face. Henri Lefebvre. You've never heard of him, Adolphus? No. He was a rather famous composer in my youth. A writer of symphonies and operas. And what has happened to him? Is he still alive? It is an interesting question, Adolphus. I, I must confront him, do you hear, Monsieur Pigard? I'm convinced that there's something unreal about all this. Fate has played me some trick. There is some horrible linkage between this man and myself. 
some string vibrating in his brain which has caused a like vibration in my own. I must find him. I must somehow break the spell. And supposing this Henri Lefebvre is dead. Dead or alive, I must discover where this music came from. And what it meant to him. And what it may mean to me. Fellowship student in composition, the Paris Conservatoire. One Prix de Rome, 1908, with piece entitled uh, Etude Contra Studied under Saint-Saëns for two years. Made first great success with performance of opera Ictat, which was presented at the Paris Opera in the... Do you want me to go on, monsieur? No, no, no. These dictionaries tell you nothing. They make everything smell of dust and corruption. Has the mail come in yet? No, monsieur. Only the package of music from the library. His music? Yes, monsieur. Then what are we waiting for? Give it to me. Henri Lefebvre. Elegy. Opus 42. Incredible to think of all those years. Look, Suzette. The paper is already turning yellow. The engraving is old-fashioned, and yet... It's exactly... Adolphe. Yes? I have a letter from his publisher. He is still alive. Thank God. But there is some mystery about him. They would not give me his present address. What do you mean? They say they've not heard for him, from him in ten years. His musical output has ceased. He submits nothing, does not answer their letters. Well, then how do you know he's still alive? They occasionally hear from Madame Lefebvre. Madame Lefebvre? He has a wife who's been living in Rouen. Good! We will write to her at once. That will not be necessary, Adolphus. Now, calm yourself. This is the best news of all. Madame Lefebvre has arrived now in this very city. In fact, I brought her here to see you. Bring her up at once. Adolphus, I beg of you. Now, calm yourself. You, you'll frighten her. You must not be too hasty. So that... I will not frighten her. I will only find out where he is. Or perhaps even seeing her. Sometimes reality shrivels everything. The truth becomes drab, this commonplace. Way. This way, Madame Lefebvre. Over here. Yes, Madame, this door. I stood quite motionless in the center of the room. A woman dressed in black confronted me across the waist of the polished floor. She was thin, middle-aged, a little stupid. Her pale eyes looked washed out with crying. Yet, there was another look in them. A look of some drowned in monstrous terror. Monsieur Adolphus Flynn? Yes. I am Cecile Lefebvre. I have heard that you are searching for my husband. Henri? Yes, madame. Why do you wish to see him, monsieur? Why do I wish to see him? You have not heard of my strange predicament, madame? No, I have heard nothing. I arrived in this country only today. You arrived alone? Yes. And your husband? My husband remained in Switzerland, monsieur. 
Switzerland? Yes, monsieur. He has lived there for many years. But why? I thought they said your home was Rouen. Rouen was my home, monsieur. My husband and I have been estranged for the last ten years. Oh. But there is much I know about my husband's work. If it is about that you wish to know. Ten years. You have not seen him for ten years? No, monsieur. Uh, hmm. You know his Opus 42, his elegy for orchestra? Yes, monsieur. When did he write it? About 15 years ago. Yes, I remember the piece well. I copied out the parts for him myself. Then you would know the music when you see it. Is this the piece, madame? Yes, monsieur. I wrote this music, madame, a month ago, out of my own head. Impossible, Impossible, monsieur. Impossible, but I tell you it is so. How could it be? This is my husband's piece. I remember the night he wrote it. Hot midsummer night. The windows were open. We could hear the bells of Rouen ringing the hours. He could not sleep. And little daughter had been crying. Your little daughter? Does this distress you, monsieur? No, no, no. Please go on. He wanted to call the piece Pavin for Louise, after our little daughter. But I wouldn't let him. It was too sad, I said, and I made him call it just... just elegy. But he said it was her piece. That he had been thinking of her crying all the time he set it down. It was as though all the sadness that was in his love for her had gone into the melody. But... But I still don't understand. I wrote this music out of beauty, out of spring, sunshine, and happiness. He could never understand why it was so popular. He didn't want to publish it. He hid it away, saying it was like, like a premonition. It had come to him like some hideous omen from another world. And he was right, monsieur. How do you mean? My little daughter, Louise. She died a little while later. Madame Lefebvre. Yes, monsieur. I beg your pardon for crying. I do not want to see your husband or hear this music ever again. My search has ended. Do you believe in ghosts, madame? No, monsieur. I've been through too much to believe in poor, sad ghosts. But... I do. I believe that neither your husband nor myself really wrote that piece. There is some further horror, some demon force at work in this music. It captured him, and it has captured me. Tell me, Madame Lefeuille, did your husband write any music after he wrote this piece? Not much more, monsieur. You mean it racked his brain as it has racked mine? Leaving him without inspiration? No, no, it was not that. He continued to write. He still writes. But nothing he has written for ten years has had any meaning. What do you mean? Monsieur, have you not already guessed the truth? My husband has gone mad. He has been mad for the last ten years. Shut up in an asylum. Oh. I have told very few people. 
It is a form of horrible neurosis. Work neurosis, the doctors call it. He seems to have lost his heart. The events of his past life are meaningless to him. He has even forgotten our little dead Louise. How terrible. And now he sits in a bare room and writes music all day long. He's become a slave, a machine. They tell me that his shelf is packed with scores, but all of them are only an endless jumble of notes. Notes such as a child might scrawl across the paper. And it was the music? The ghost music that did this? Who knows, monsieur? Yes. There were seeds of madness in this thing. Even from the beginning, there was something uncanny. Why should that radio play that music just after I had finished the piece? Why should you, you a perfect stranger, have come here and found me? Perhaps, perhaps I too am destined to go mad. Monsieur, believe me, people do not go mad so easily. To be destroyed as my husband was destroyed. One must have deep sadness and love. One must have human ties, a wife, a beautiful little child. You have no such ties, monsieur. No. I have no ties. My husband went mad because he loved too much. When I little Louise died, he thought that he had killed her. She died of simple pneumonia, but he could never understand. He became insane with grief. He thought he was her murderer. You see, monsieur, you who live here alone, whose life is so quiet. Madame Lefebvre. I, I beg your pardon, monsieur. I have seen you before, Madame Lefebvre. Hi, monsieur. I have <laughs> met you somewhere. I have heard your story. You have come here? Before? No, no, monsieur. I have never come here before. Then why should your face seem so suddenly familiar? And your words? There's something uncanny about this thing, madame. For a moment there, for a moment, I thought I knew... Knew what, monsieur? I thought I knew you and your husband and Louise and that I had lived... Monsieur! That... Perhaps it was only in one of my nightmares. But somehow... Try to remember, please. Remember... The little house in Rouen. The stone house. The tree in the garden. The coffee on Sunday afternoons. The Beckstein piano by the window. The bedroom with the calico curtain. The little doll little... carriage underneath the stairs. Louise doll carriage. Louise! Louise! What have you done to her? They have taken her away. And I... I have killed her. A little doll carriage waits at the bottom of the stairs, but she will never come back. Never come back. No, no, no. She's been dead for ten years. You must not think of her anymore. You're getting better. Dr. Pickard says you are getting well. Dr. Pickard? Your doctor, Henri. 
What are you talking about? I? I have no doctor. Don't you see, my darling? Your long search is over. I? I am Henri Lefebvre? Yes, darling. I? <laughs> I am shriveled old man. I locked up in the walls of a lunatic asylum for ten years, writing a jumble of notes like a little child. Then, who is the Dolphus plan? A name you made up, darling. A poor mad name. My symphonies are rubbish, you say? My adoring public are only shadows running across the wall. And these mountains beyond my window. These mountains? <laughs> you are lying to me! Horry. I tell you my name is Adolphus Flesh. Look, Horry. This room. These bare white walls. These bars across the window. This door one cannot open from the inside. For ten years, Horry. For ten years I have waited for a glimmer to come. For some little memory like that music. For ten years I have prayed for you every day. For ten years. While I sat here. I do not believe it. Don't you pick her. Henri, my dear fellow. You call me Henri too? I cannot tell you how happy I am, Madame Lefebvre. The experiment has worked beyond our fondest hopes. I've been listening to every word, and you've handled it exactly Monsieur right. Monsieur Picard, am I Henri Lefeuille? Yes. I have been mad for ten years. You have deceived me for ten years. I am not that Dolphus Flame. Oh, Henri, if you could have known how my heart beat. What Dr. Picard first telephoned. And now... Naturally. My poor fellow, it must be a terrible shock. After ten years, one cannot be cured overnight. Rest, much rest, will be necessary. And many little talks. But you will see, in a few months, we may hope for something quite remarkable. Monsieur and Madame Le Pen. Unutterable pain that I can never conquer. War has come back. The stone house, the little doll carriage underneath the stairs. And my arms ache with longing for a little dead child with long, honey-colored hair. There's no music in me now. No music save that one tune 
which sings in my head all day long. My pavan for Louis. If I could only get it out of my mind, I might be able to work again. I might be happy as I once was happy. I might look out of my window and find a symphony in a sunset on the mountain. That is why I will not go back. I will not leave this room until I find him again. Until I find Adolphus Flat. Closes the search for Henri Lafebvre by Lucille Fletcher, starring Paul Muni. Tonight's tale of Suspense. Now, we of Suspense bring especially to you men and women in the armed forces of the United Nations a preview of our next tale to further intrigue you and stir your nerves until you hear the entire story at the same time seven days from now. So here it is, your special preview of a portion of next week's story of Suspense. I'm going to kill a man. It takes great singleness of purpose to commit a murder. But if ever for a moment I stray from that purpose, I have only to think of Ronnie. Ronnie was my son. One evening, two weeks ago, he was crossing the road outside our house. He had gone into the village to buy some candy. For him, it could have been only a paralyzing blaze of headlights around the corner. A moment's nightmare. And then the impact turning everything to darkness forever. Body was hurled into the ditch. He was dead at once. The motorist who killed Ronnie did not stop. The police have failed to trace him. They say he must have been going 50 around that blind corner for the child's body to have been thrown and injured as it was. The man who drove that car, he's the man I have got to find and kill. June 25th. I found my first clue today. My mind was on Ronnie. I was driving toward a neighboring town. The hills around were green. The boxwood hedges, still damp from last night's rain, translucent like giant chunks of emerald. Suddenly, the front wheels of my car hit into a great puddle. A sheet of water splashed up over the front of the windshield and drenched me from the side. I pulled up at the far side of the water splash. I got out, cursing myself for my preoccupation, and began mopping away at the windshield. A man leaning over a farm gate addressed me. Whoa! Looks like you've got a proper shower bath, mister. Yeah. Been pestering the county for months to repair that hole. People always driving into it, splashing themselves all over. Funny thing of all, though, was about a fortnight ago when a chap tried to use it to get a free car wash. Oh, really? Yeah. It was my wife's birthday, to be exact. About eight o'clock, we was on our way to Chellenham to see the picture show. Just coming out of the gate, this chap driving one of those low-slung sports jobs hits the water splash. You don't say. Ah. And then the fellow says something to the girl he's driving with. What do you suppose they do? They back up and run through the splash again. <laughs> and then again. They did it four times. Eight o'clock. Your wife's birthday. It uh, wouldn't be June 3rd, would it? Oh, right, yeah. But how'd you know? Well, well you see, I, uh, a friend of mine was <laughs> celebrating that night. And 
He was driving toward, uh, toward, uh... Sevenbury. That's where this fellow and his lady friend were going. I remember his lady friend says, George, ask the man whether you turn to the right or to the left at the next fort. George. George, yes, that, that's right. That's my pal's name. And, um, Sevenbridge, yes. Yes. And the way he drives ought to have brought him here by just around 8 o'clock. He... He didn't have a crumpled right front fender, did he? Oh, that he did. And that bloke was your friend. He sure is a proper nut. Well, peculiar, at least. Yes. Yes, he is peculiar. Driving through that water splash all over again and again. Four times he does it. He wasn't laughing either. Didn't seem like a joke somehow. <laughs> Looks like he's trying to get a free car wash. Funny way I'd say to get the mud off. Yes. Maybe it was tar, though, huh? Yes. Or blood. <laughs> So until next week, when you will hear the rest of this exciting tale, we keep you in suspense.